0: Welcome everyone to a new episode of Water Cooler Conversations. We have Ignacio back, the grumpy economist is back, uh, our economics correspondent. Uh, Ignacio is back with us today and uh, we're going to talk about macroeconomics. The episode is going to revolve around the idea of rethinking macroeconomics. And I think it's a, a great line to follow from our previous chats especially the second episode of the podcast, um, which was monetary policy uh, by the Fed and the ECB. And it's going to overlap a lot with that, I think, because we're going to talk, talk about a few things. Um, but uh, yeah, so to give people kind of an intro, I, I, I just want to ask you, what's your definition of macroeconomics?
1: Well, thanks for inviting me, Will. Oh, you're always nice. welcoming, Nathia. Um, well, the, the modern macroeconomics is uh, was probably first uh, touched by uh, John Maynard Keynes, even though it had already been uh, discussed. Some of the aspects of the modern macroeconomics, such as the uh, the uh, rent distribution that was already treated by Adam Smith and other uh, classical economists, such as David Ricardo or and what, John Stuart Mill.
0: Marx. Marx, Of course. Now, of Marx course. talks about uh, he was more income redistribution
1: he, he of communism, was, essentially. He, he, yeah, he was a kind of macroeconomics, of macroeconomics. sorry, but the, the true is that up to John Maynard Keynes, there was not a, book, a single book that treated only uh, macroeconomic aspects. And in which way did the theory of, uh, uh, the general theory of labor, unemployment and uh, wages uh, dealt with the subject? Well, uh, John Maynard Keynes used to define macroeconom- ma- macroeconomics as the study of the aggregates of an economy, for instance, the GDP, um, inflation, so uh, the level of prices in the economy, um, unemployment, exactly. all those
0: issues um, that are uh, that are aggregates of the economy. So, so macroeconomics, as we know it today, was essentially born through John Maynard Keynes. Could we say it was born in his book? Uh, 1936 book the general theory of employment interest and money
1: as i as i told you for me the uh, that's the first person that talks about it uh that first only focus on this issue because previously all the classical economists they used to talk about many things they didn't have a single field of action
0: yeah uh, so he can kind of concentrate the Whereas dis- the exactly,
1: th- th- there had been a lot of uh, of contributions previous to the one that uh, Keynes did to the economy. For instance, uh, the monetary neutrality already studied by the neoclassical uh, authors in the Cambridge School in in, in the UK and in uh, in the US uh, by Fisher and, and uh, Marshall and and Pigou. Yeah. But afterwards, Pigou. he was the first. He was the first man that dealt with the issue, you know, as a, a as a whole issue. You know, he he yeah, he concentrated
0: st- the discussion around it.
1: And the most important thing about Keynes for me is that he did all that without a single equation. Uh, right. So it was literally uh, just today. Ec- economics are and macroeconomics are very based on mathematics. But during his time, he had a, a very uh, he had a very precise mind. So he was able to see many things that uh, have influenced macroeconomics since uh, his time, and where they were all of them presented without a single equation. So that's. How, for me, that's that, that's a sign of, of how a mind,
0: a good mind functions. A, a mind like mine. <laughs> Great. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that's the birth of modern, kind of modern uh, macroeconomics as we know it today. Okay, um, following on from that, so we can divide, kind of, macroeconomics has obviously developed throughout the decades up to today. And um, John Maynard Keynes, his ideas, his um, theories were implemented in, we can say, around the 1940s. So we can label this era as the era of policy. Um, but then I think up to the 1970s, it was all kind of going okay. There were some certain discoveries that you're going to tell us about oh, now. Yeah, yeah well, But we got then to stagflation in the 1970s. I want to leave that idea there. And then you can kind of introduce what happens. Well, throughout uh, the yeah. decades, what leads?
1: Well, before seeing what leads to stagflation, we have to say that John Maynard, Maynard Keynes, because he didn't he didn't write a single equation, he was uh, interpreted by many authors. Many authors try to uh, understand what Keynes wanted to say in each mathematically, of, mathematically, and in each of the chapters, because he wasn't he is not an a, 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 an author which is simple to read. It's not easy to, to, to yeah, read its yeah. it's, uh, its writings,
0: yeah.
1: uh, his writings. So if you see that after Keynes, there were, uh, for instance, uh, there, there is an important there is an important contribution made to the economy based on Keynes' ideas, which is the um, ESLM model uh, done by John Hicks, which is uh, in in the in 1937, I think, just one year after the the publication of of, of Keynes' book, and uh, and uh, um, John Hicks. Afterwards, he received the Nobel Prize in 1972. Uh, so that was an important contribution, but it's just an interpretation of what uh, Keynes want, Mr. Uh, Keynes, or Mr. To say, Keynes yeah. wanted to say. And he, um, with this model, you can see why, well, uh, according to Keynes, with uh, a, a, an appropriate uh, monetary policy or fiscal policy, you can boost the economy in order to, uh, to uh, uh, overcome uh, depressions.
0: Uh, yeah I mean, business cycles yeah. Exactly. essentially business. what Keynes wanted was to kind of smooth the business cycles and he believed that state intervention was important for to do so yeah it was positive
1: while before him normally many of the economists the classical economists believe the, econ- the the the, macroeconom- the macroeconomics was a, a state of equilibrium where yeah, uh, the, the, the liberal school thought exactly the laissez faire yeah. paradigm yeah laissez faire and, and in this sense I believe that first uh, the um, contribution by john higgs and afterwards the um, phillips curve which wasn't an, an invention well it, it was an empirical observation by by phillips yeah but it studied uh, through in university which was which was was mainly studied by uh, by paul samuelson mm-hmm. um, this this both contribution used to uh, used to make uh, a, 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 used to uh, account for another um, wave of macroeconomics, which was the neoclassical synthesis, and which was very very important because it did influence a lot uh, policymakers during those times. I would say w- when people believe that uh, Keynes. Uh, was the man that most influenced all those times? It is true, but it was through the lens of the neoclassical synthes- uh, synthesis during the the forties uh, and the fifties yeah. and even the sixties. But what happened that uh, in the in, in, in 1973 due to the and, and 1979 due to the um, supply crisis due to the uh, petrol crisis, uh, the oil crisis due to the to, to the uh, OPEC OPEC yeah.
0: which. Like curve. like
1: now, it's an oligopoly that doesn't easily make agreements with, within themselves. Um, what happened during that time? Um, macroeconomists used uh, started to realize that there was be, there was a, a huge level of unemployment and there was a huge level of inflation. So what was called the stagflation. So the Phillips the Phillips, the Phillips curve was not holding anymore, and that was a problem because that put into question all the theory that had been.
0: Analyzed before Yeah because uh, The Phillips curve Very basically says That if unemployment rises Inflation goes down And vice versa Exactly But at that point In the 1970s The OPEC crisis What was happening is Both rates were going up And you had a huge rate of inflation Huge rates of unemployment And there had been a problem So people started to rethink things So who comes in uh, What school of thought comes in now And is essentially monetarism. In the 1970s, 1980s, uh, Mr. Milton Friedman, which is with his ideas, Paul Volcker uh, attacking uh, inflation in the U.S. to get that rate down, but obviously there was a there was a a trade off, which was uh, unemployment rose sufficient like significantly. Um, So that was the transition from. the policy era, with all the, the synthesis authors you were talking about, and then we go into monetarism. And now we have a combination of both policies. Well,
1: after that, there was another wave of, uh, of macroeconomics, a very important one, led by Robert Lucas, which was the Nobel Prize winner in 1995. Uh, because it considered two things two very important things first a methodological new approach to macroeconomics which was based on microfunding models so uh, normally microeconomic models are based on optimization problems by 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 in the economy but up to that date uh, people that were thinking about macroeconomics used to think very abstract. In, 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 in the abstract, uh, they were they were uh, thinking in the abstract. Kind of. They were well. I, I, I wouldn't say philosophers, philosophers but they they were not. Uh, most of the time, they didn't write down models based on optimization decision yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on optimization. No mathematics to Made by the by by the agents. And well, Robert Lucas first he established this important issue. Uh, second he uh, started to uh, speak about rational expectation which is one of the key principles of macroeconomics so people take their decisions knowing um, th- uh, like they 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 have, they have uh, an expectation on the future and they act according to that. Well, so then, that then, there's,
0: then there's behavioural economics that, that says that we don't base our well, decisions rationally. It, it, it may come... It may come uh, yeah, that's it, a different it, discussion. It is related
1: though. to it, but... That's uh, a different discussion. But it's a different discussion and, 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 a, very and a very interesting a, one. A very deep one as well. Yeah, yeah very interesting. Um, and the final thing it's that uh, it's called the new classical macroeconomics because most of the assumptions made by, made by uh, Robert Lucas they are related to the one the classical economists used to say. So the market uh, it's a perfect human body and it yeah, works yeah. perfectly. Everything uh, uh, reaches an equilibrium yeah. uh, at the end. So those were the most important contribution. What happened? That afterward, there is a new wave of uh, macroeconomists, including, including um, for instance, uh, Olivier Blanchard and other new... Uh, Jordi Galli, the so-called new Keynesian macroeconomists, yeah, uh, why are they called new yeah. Keynesian? Well because they used to have uh, many important uh, many important assumptions that Keynes used to have as well, which are for instance, uh, the, the thing that market may, markets may not function perfectly. They, there, there may be rigidities in the, in, in, wa- in wages, there may be um, uh, there, may, there might be recessions that can only be solved through the, through pushing uh, aggregate demand. Uh, forward, yeah. all those things that Keynes already had in mind when uh, writing his uh, general theory uh, were uh, r- taken again by those macroeconomists. And uh, the, the important thing is that those econ- those economists, even though they uh, changed this uh, the, the approach uh, re- related to the assumptions, uh, in, uh, in contrast with uh, with the neo cl- new ma- new classical macro macroecono- new classical macroeconomists. They keep the mathematics of the models, and that's very important because that's the current approach of mac, uh, of mac, of macro model there are normally they are normally very difficult general equilibrium models that are based on several equations several agents that uh, take into decisions the actions of the other so markets are interrelated and uh, that's how models are constructed um, but even though it looks a bit difficult to understand if you're not very deep into the uh, subject. It is very important because that's how the the world functions. For instance, yeah. during the financial crisis, this helped uh, to understand that well something was missing within the models. What was missing? The financial sector, because the financial sector was there's no regulation. It was out of control. Exactly, and the financial sector was having a lot of uh, of loops of relations with the real sector, and that was that was causing problems and well macroeconomic models prior to that crisis they were not taking into account the financial sector but all of them uh, like uh, even though the, the 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 this new approach this new uh, approach that relates a lot mathematics to macro models uh, was able to uh, to to allow these uh, economists to take into account the financial sector exactly. in those models what Which happens is, yeah. the, the, now comes This new period. What is happening now? I mean, where are we right now? Well, uh, uh, before the before the COVID crisis, it is clear we were the the new paradigm. The the new paradigm was clearly this new Keynesian approach.
0: Yeah, Uh, people are conscious. The rebirth of
1: Keynes' theories, kind of. Exactly. People are conscious. I mean, economists are conscious that there are failures in the market. There are rigidities. There are um, well, simply things that do not function perfectly, and uh, we have to consider this in order to build a macro model that reflects reality the closest as possible.
0: Yeah. yeah what it.
1: happens now? Well,
0: There is a bit of an, an a, a discussion to have. There to, is a discussion, yeah. definitely. So to kind of sum up all that, uh, all the different areas, uh, John Maynard Keynes, then the synthesis. The synthesis are, it's mainly, uh, is mainly yeah, driven it? by John Hicks and Paul Samuelson. John Hicks, Paul, Paul Samuelson. Then we have Milton Friedman, Paul Volcker, monetarism. And then we have the... Robert Lucas. Robert Lucas. Uh, Muth, Robert Muth as well. And then after them, we have the new, the kind of rebirth of, uh, of uh, Keynesianism. New Keynesianism. With
1: Olivier Blanchard and... Olivier Blanchard and the other authors, such as
0: Jordi Galí, which is a, 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 a Spanish... Uh, Catman. Spanish economist, very yeah. important one. Um, great. That was a brief summary of what we talk, talked up to now. And now kind of the debate, important debate is rethinking macroeconomics. So that's what happened up to now. So what's happening now... Um, there's a debate uh, between fiscal monetary policy obviously fiscal policy has been given a priority now there's been huge uh, fiscal spending the by governments running huge uh, fiscal deficits essentially uh, they're 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 spending more than they tax people uh, would that be a good accurate definition of fiscal deficits
1: Exactly. Well, yeah. fiscal deficit, spending by, by definition, spending, you spend more than what you have. Th- yeah, exactly. You have some income and you have yeah. some, exactly. some, some some expenditures. Expenditures exactly. are bigger than your income. That's 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 running a
0: deficit. Exactly. So we've talked about monetary policy in the in previous episode we did together, and there is kind of a blur, blur, blur. There's kind of a blurry line between like fiscal policy, monetary policy. Uh, our central banks kind of taking a a, a like a role into like fiscal policy are they taking like a, a, a an approach which is kind of uh diminishing its credibility as an independent body and it's kind of being relegated into government branch by kind of buying huge uh, government debts and having all that stuff so i kind of want to get into that debate um what what's your take on the matter
1: well in my opinion, there is a, a consensus on uh, on what is being done right now um, because it, it was clear when the coronavirus hit the economy, uh, people were p- people and the economy were needing a relief. They, yeah, modern- they, they, they were needing a relief. So that's what what was offered by the by the um, United States CARES, CARES Act of. 2.5 trillion dollars yeah, yeah what was offered the figures th- that we talked about yeah exactly what we have talked already was also in the first chapter when we talked about the uh, next generation EU the next generation EU fund which has been adopted exactly so economies they do need a fiscal a fiscal monetary monetary policy an won't. aggressive fiscal policy yeah, exactly uh, because the monetary policy was already uh, the, the interest it, it rate was, was insufficient was it was
0: insufficient exactly. people
1: needed more it was clear that the monetary policy was not able by herself, to uh, to, to 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 revamp inflation and to and to uh, to lift to lift up the economy, the economy. it was so, not not enough
0: so there's going to be a, a bit of an integration between those kind of two fiscal and and we'll, and we'll talk about that later but relate to the um, related to,
1: to to the policies adopted by most of the countries, I believe those were correct. I mean, they. in fact, it was really needed that a fiscal expansion uh, take, takes, pl- takes place in many countries, like it happened in the US or in the EU, because people were suffering and many people were unemployed and there, re- there was really a need for relief. What happens? How to pay for all these things? Well, uh, normally, uh, in, ca- in, 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 in current times, Countries need to to uh, to get more debt, and mm-hmm. when you get more debt, then at the end it might it might become a problem because the debt might not be sustainable in the long term. That's a problem and the debate that has been held for centuries. But the thing here is that uh, the new paradigm, which for me is very it is which is taking place right now, is that in the short term, because there is no inflation, because there is no, no inflation. Um, countries are spending what they do not have, I mean, they are spending a lot, they are running huge deficits. Third, the states are allocating the resources, because if the states spend, they decide which companies mm-hmm. they, are go- they are going to save, which companies they are going to subsidize, uh, which people are they going to give uh, uh, subsidies as well. And and fourth, uh, and not uh, least important is also the fact that uh, interest, uh, interest rates or bank, uh, central banks, let's say, they are putting a lot of money into the system, they are buying huge, huge uh, quantities of government bonds to finance, to finance those issuances of debt. Yeah. Uh, is that debt monetization? Well, that's another debate. The UK, for instance, uh, the Andrew Bailey, the uh, Central the Central Bank of England's governor, he has already said that the UK is directly monetizing its deficit. That is something that in in, in the past would have been unthinkable because um, many people would say, "Well, that is going to lead to hi- hyperinflation." Well, nowadays, in the, in the short term, there is a clear consensus: we have to do that. Yeah, yeah. We, we will see what happens in the future, but yeah. now we have to do that. And, and and well, it's it's also important to say that all those issues were had already been discussed in the past by the by modern monetary theory, Exactly, and, which and, and, is what
0: I want to get into okay. now. Like modern modern monetary theory, it hasn't just appeared now. Exactly, it's it's actually been debated
1: in the it, last few. What is what is really funny is that um, it, it started in the U.S. Uh, it was. It was a, a, deba- a, a, a debate uh, led by uh, Alexandra Ocasio Cortez, which yeah. is a—I think it's a Congresswoman. Uh, she's, a con- she's a Democrat. Uh, a, she's a Democrat, which is like a left, represents leaning Democrat. Yeah, she, i think she represents New and, York. Uh, and well, the 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 economists that support that the, that theory are not very well known, and most of them are also um, m- more and more people are putting them into question. For instance, for instance, uh, Stephanie uh, Stephanie Kelton, which is the one of the biggest. Uh, uh, one of the biggest author in this uh, in this, this year, uh, yeah. in this field um, What they were saying when the United States had an unemployment of three percent So they were at the at the full employment level kind of, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. They were saying well, it doesn't matter this three percent. We can put this work. We can put these people to work How can we do that? Well, because we issue our own money and uh, we have our debt denominated in our own currency, we can uh, issue as much money as we need in order to finance that debt. Yeah. Well, that has a lot of drawbacks. And many economists have
0: have jumped in to say, no, this is this not is a, true. This is a utopian exactly. view of economics. It's because their arguments are essentially run huge uh, fiscal deficits, not just in the in the in the short term but also in the in the in the in the long run but like what happens then i mean inflation rises but they say that oh you can fix that through uh taxing people putting saving quotas into place price controls salary controls so more and more integration of the economy which isn't always great so why is this not good because inflation will not only come through an increase in aggregate demand uh, it would also come through monetary uh, monetary causes. So the aggregate demand would be uh, bigger than the aggregate supply. So then prices would rise, inflation will rise. That's kind of the, the, real, the kind of the real um, cause of what would happen. But then you would have monetary causes. So those monetary causes are the 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 essentially monetary policy wants to aims to keep price stability. And when you have fiscal policy being a prominent figure in your economy, and and overlapping monetary policy, and you kind of put that objective into kind of a second kind of uh, term, you kind of people like at an international level, and especially then at a national level, people will lose trust in the nation's currency, in the dollar, for example. What would happen then? Not that only in the dollar, also
1: in the in the central bank, in the monetary authorities, because they believe these authorities are
0: dependent... On the government. On the government. Yes, and that's yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so you would lose that int- uh, that trust that the currency has, which at least... Uh, so I think uh, Alan Greenspan, the former Fed president, said that people would uh, then fly... Uh, that they, they would try to get out of that currency essentially so this would cause uh, uh less demand of that currency and uh, at national level people will also lose trust and would lead to an inflation through that cause as well so through monetary causes and through uh, aggregate demand being higher than aggregate supply so and, and this scenario as well would be very hard to control and let's not forget another thing will uh,
1: the empirical facts i mean, yeah, I here, mean if you look if, at if you see for instance uh countries where they have where there uh, have been hyperinflations in the past let's say and for recently. instance uh, Venezuela, or, yeah, Venezuela or, recently. or Germany in the in the in, in, the, uh, 20s, yeah. in the 20s after the first well, war w- w- what was the problem right there a lot of money was being issued without control yeah exactly and to pay the debt to pay the debt in the case of Germany was to pay the reparations of the Traté uh, de versailles uh, and nowadays um, countries that are not credible countries uh, whose governments are not credible. They uh, put their central banks to print money. Yeah. They, they 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 put a, they they put on the wearing machine and they start to print to, to print money. Free money. And then that's a problem because yeah. if if there is a lot of money to buy the, the same amount of goods, then there will be hyperinflation, and that's more or less um, the criticism that Larry Summer, the former U.S. Uh, uh, sec- uh, secretary of the of the Treasury mm-hmm. uh, makes to this uh, modern monetary theory. He says, "Okay, this in the past it hasn't worked. Why would it work right no. now? Yeah. Uh, this is it, it is something that is still being discussed. And another, I would say, another more uh, technical argument against this modern monetary theory is the fact that the government." When it issues debt, it pays an interest rate to the debt owners, so yeah. to, the, to the bondholders, let's say. Um, well, it pays an interest rate. If the central bank arrives and buys all this debt, the central bank has to issue new money. Yeah. But the new money also pays an interest rate. Exactly. Because the new money uh, is is uh, f- flows into the into the system through commercial banks, and the commercial banks they put their uh, Excess money into the central banks and also you have to put a number of reserves that are not excess reserves. They are also uh, Necessary reserves. Yeah, but
0: that's been through regulations from since the financial crisis and that correct? It already existed this okay. is called
1: the, the um, It, it has, in the US there is not a a, a Level like a, a, a compulsory level of reserves that has to be held in the uh, central bank, but it does exist in the in the, in EU. the, in the EU for instance um, but if you when the commercial banks they put their money into the uh, central bank as a deposit for the commercial bank the central bank has to pay an interest rate so if you consider together the government and the central bank balance sheets both of them have to pay an interest rate so if there were if there was a moment if there were a moment that when the uh, interest rate paid by the government was higher than the one paid by the uh, uh, banks to the, uh, to the, to, to the um, commercial banks, then the commercial banks, they won't want to have the, this money. They yeah. would prefer to buy assets and then there, will co- th- 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 there would be a an, uh, hyperinflation. Yeah. And that's what the MMT, the modern monetary theory, doesn't seem to see. And that's what many economists, for instance, Olivier Blanchard, they criticize because they believe uh, you are not seeing something that is more or less obvious. But I, think, I mean, money and debt,
0: both of them are a kind of debt. Yeah, but I, I think that's, like, I can't see how they don't see that. Do you get what I mean? Uh, well, I see. I, I, I think there's a huge consensus, yeah, okay, you have the argument of fiscal policy and, and run huge deficits, okay, we agree on that now, in the short term. But then, running that in long term, forgetting about all these kind of technicalities and in, in, in economics that I think are a huge consensus... On one side, I, I agree with you, but on the other side, it is true
1: that there is no there th- there is there is there isn't a long-term theory that uh, makes everybody happy.
0: Yeah, that is valid. Because
1: uh, as we were discussing before, uh, there are many authors, for instance Olivier Blanchard, that believe that if the real interest rate is is bigger than the uh, sorry is, is uh, smaller than the uh, um, growth rate of the economy. Then the growth will pay for uh, for the debt. Yeah. and then it doesn't matter the level of debt of debt you you, you are managing as a, as a country. It doesn't matter if you have one hundred fifty percent of GDP uh, debt to GDP ratio. It doesn't matter because you your growth will pay for your debt. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But other economists, for instance, Kenneth Rogoff, which is also a very well-known uh, economist and, and and particularly in in the field of debt, he says, well, if you see uh, the economic history, the last 150 years, a lot of countries have an interest rate paid to the bondholders that is small to the growth rate of the country. And even though countries that run huge deficits permanently and that have huge level of debt, levels of debt, they also then uh, they also have problems. Problems can arise because debt is not sustainable anymore. So the, the there is a there is a still a debate, and that's maybe why nowadays we have uh, we haven't yet uh, reached an agreement on on what happens, like which is the level of debt that yeah. makes debt unsustainable in yeah, the future. Yeah,
0: exactly. We, we do not get to the point uh, uh, yet. But there's come some empirical evidence that running just running huge large deficits for uh, an unpredictable amount of time. Does kind of we have to do some have some evidence that it doesn't? It's dangerous, but for instance, you can see now the case of Japan.
1: Japan has more, more has yeah, a, has a, debt a to gdp case, ratio yeah. of more than two hundred percent, and it it's it is still running a deficit. Uh, I think in 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 twenty nineteen. So is that something sustainable? Well, according to the market expectation, it is because interest rates are low. Uh, when there is the problem is that. The problem is that, as some authors have already um, stated, for instance, Marcus Brunemeyer, which is uh, uh, one specialist in this field, he used to say, well, this is uh, there, there are bad and good equilibria. When you are talking about all this, and of course this is very, very complex yeah, uh, yeah. To, to explain in a podcast, but... Uh, if, if uh, investors, if bondholders, they lose the confidence in a country because of what they are doing, so that's what the modern monetary theory doesn't take into account, yeah. then there might be an occasion that you are reaching the bad equilibria and your debt becomes unsustainable, and then at the end your country is not able to pay and they have to make default. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a huge problem for the country because that in turn uh, makes another... Um, that that makes uh, investors even less confident, and that's that's a huge problem. As we have seen, for instance, in Argentina, which uh, yeah. whom, who, which made been. its nine, ninth default in history. Yeah. I think in, in, it was in stay. May or, or in in, in, it in, in it April. April, I think it was. April. Yeah.
0: yeah, they. they um. I mean, it's it's definitely just an economic debate that, that and and people have like a huge like important economists have their own predictions of what will happen, and uh, it's just an interesting kind of debate and 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 that these uh, the modern monetary theorists kind of uh, have kind of an argument that does create a debate. So it, in some instances, it, it is kind of credible. Uh, people and and now we're seeing that it's happening. Like the main thing that they argue for is happening, but. We'll see in in future if for the amount of years that they say for for an un, like unlimited amount of years we'll see if that is the new approach uh, macroeconomics will take. So, is there just to finish up? Is there going to be a newer area era of macroeconomics, or are we just going to go over this crisis and kind of go back to where we were? Like after like a, a new like the where we were with the birth of Keynesian theories with Olivier Blanchard all these economists. Well.
1: In my opinion, there are two key issues here. First, the methodological approach is not going to change. We now have the the right methodological approach. We know that models have to be very they they, they, they have to be very precise, very accurate, and they need to consider um, the the, the m- 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 like most of the agents that take part into a uh, into an economy. And uh, second. Well, there is a sense in which I think microeconomics is changing because uh, there is a consensus, as we uh, agreed upon, uh, that in the short term, whatever it takes has to be done in order to save economies. And that was something that in the past was not so clear. For instance, during the um, global financial crisis and the debt crisis that followed in the Eurozone, Germany was... Clearly against yeah, uh, more work. spending, more um, uh, more uh, unemployment subsidies, and so on, uh, because it believed the right solution was austerity and uh, and putting down the level of debt. Well, during this crisis, it is clear that something has changed yeah. because Italy was already running a deficit of more than of more than one hundred percent. I think it's like one hundred percent, one hundred twenty percent of uh, of uh, debt to GDP ratio, and even though um, Germany is contributing by by uh, agreeing on the uh, next generation eu package yeah. to a uh, bigger level of debts uh, within the european union that's in my opinion that's that's a, a huge change and that is not only in the european union because it has that's also, also of- happened in the states now yeah. they are discussing a new bill in the congress you know there are always problems because the Democrats they always want they want more. They were talking about uh, two three, uh, two or even three trillion more, and the uh, Republicans, Republicans they so only to want them. to add one trillion more to the CARES Act. But there is a bipartisan uh, agreement on more debt, more uh, expenditures, more uh, revamping
0: the economy. <laughs> yeah, I think there's kind of been a, a like a, a huge development since. I think it was in the going back to the nineteen seventies era where monetarism came into play. Uh, I think it was the former British PM, uh James Callahan, who said you can no longer spend your way out of a recession. But it turned out that you kind of that's the recipes that the governments and, and um central banks are adopting now. So we've definitely seen an a constant evolution of macroeconomics in the past century. And uh to be honest, we, we don't know what will happen, but it does seem like I agree with you that the methodology that we've been adopting in the recent years, I don't think there will be that huge a change as people are expecting. Now, that's my humble opinion. Do you know what I mean? So, we'll see. We'll see, Will. It was um, a pleasure. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So, that's the end of today's episode. Uh, short but sweet. I think we touched upon a lot of things. It was a very interesting debate, uh, something to definitely keep an eye on, on in the next few years. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. And Ignatio, thank you very much as well for coming on. You'll be our economics correspondent. I think I think it's been, it's, it's an, a non-written rule now. <laughs> so you're more than welcome every time you come on. Thank you, Will. Uh, see you in the next episode.